Buenos dias y noches, señores y señores, and welcome to that sports show that talks sports. I am, of course, your host, Mr. Andrew Valentin, and I hope you are having a wonderful night, day, whenever you are listening to this podcast. I hope you all are enjoying your life to the best and fullest of your ability right now. Obviously, we got some sports stuff we're going to have to get to here in the world, folks, so I hope you're ready for this one, because without further ado, we're just going to kind of jump right into this one, so off we go. First thing I want to talk about, obviously, NFL Week 2 is here. This is when it's being recorded right now. It's Saturday, just before Sunday night football, or Sunday football starts, the NFL Week 2. Uh, but obviously, we had Thursday night football, so I kind of want to get into that one real quick because obviously we had a matchup that many of us I think believed was not going to live up to the hype but lo and behold somehow some way it found a way to do so so I want to get into this Bengals Browns Thursday night football kind of give a little bit on both sides then we'll give the picks and that's how we're going to do this thing so first thing is Cleveland Browns Certainly a better turnaround from last week, where against the Baltimore Ravens, they only scored six points, and in this one, they scored 35. Now, I'm no professional by any means, but in my own professional opinion, it definitely feels like Kevin Stefanski might have put his foot down on this one. Week one felt very much like it was Kevin Stefanski saying... Baker, you be you, but you be you in my offense, and let's see how this works. And they only came out with six points. He had a bad interception. He didn't play well at all. He tried to scramble like he was Russell Wilson. He tried to throw it like he's Aaron Rodgers. He tried to force it like he's Matt Ryan. He tried to do a lot of things that better quarterbacks do, and he didn't. He, he couldn't get it done. But I, and I know it's Baltimore's defense, and I know no preseason, no training camp. I listen. You saw, you listened to the last episode. You got only a few more weeks to use that as your excuse, okay? By week four, everybody should kind of be figuring out what they are by that point. You're either a good team or a bad team. You should know who the starters are. You should know who your top performer is. So by week four, get it together. So for Cleveland, though. Kevin Stefanski realizes the strength of our team. And as good as Baker is, is not in our quarterback. It's in our run game. Nick Chubb, 124 yards, two touchdowns. Kareem Hunt had 10 carries for 86 yards and a touchdown as well. They ran for over 200 yards of total offense between the running backs and Baker himself. He had five yards. Baker himself, 16 for 23, 219 yards, two touchdowns. Had a bad interception, but it did not really affect him. But here's the thing, folks. What we witnessed Thursday was, believe it or not, Baker Mayfield in the Kirk Cousins offense from Minnesota. If you want to know what I mean by that, this is what I mean. Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback in his own right. Some would say he's in the top of quarterbacks. Some would say he's a great one. Whatever you want to say, I say he's good, okay? And I think that's fair enough to say. But Kirk Cousins is not a guy who I would probably say throw 50, 60 times a game. And that's not how Kevin Stefanski likes to run his offense. We saw it in Minnesota. Kirk Cousins is a guy who throw up between 25, 35 times, 35 plus times if we need to, if the run game's not working. But for the most part, use Dalvin Cook, use Madison, pound the rock, run the football, and then establish a strong ground game, have your defense feast. Obviously, he's not on that side of the ball, but obviously you need the defense to be very ferocious and attack and get turnovers and stuff. But it's all about run the football and occasionally 
throw a pass in here or there. And it's all about high precision, precision passing. It's all about getting the best completion percentage you possibly can at quarterback while moving the team down the field. Find the open man down the field. Move the ball. You don't need to make 70-yard bombs. We're not Patrick Mahomes. This isn't Aaron Rodgers. This is Baker Mayfield. He can throw it. We know he can throw it. But he doesn't always need to launch it. Odell Beckham Jr. had four catches, 74 yards, and a touchdown. Kareem Hunt caught a touchdown on pass as well. Like Cleveland is just showed everybody what they can do in this Stefanski offense. This is, I think, what Kevin Stefanski wants to do with this. This is where Baker's going to thrive, I think, at his best. It's not trying to be a carbon copy of Kirk Cousins, but it's playing in the same style that Kirk Cousins does. You don't always have to sprint roll out and try to scramble and run around and beat your opponents. Cleveland's seen that multiple times before. They saw it when it was at its worst, and it was called Johnny Manziel. You don't need to do that. You need to just find yourself in the pocket, throw the football to OBJ and Jarvis Landry and Austin Hooper and Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Find your open targets, get it to your guys, move the ball down the field with the run game, and however you score touchdowns is however you score touchdowns. I get it. You want to put up some big gaudy numbers. The passing attack is is the new thing now that runs in the NFL. But look, if you have an established running back in the game like Nick Chubb, who I would argue right now, you could say, is a top 10 running back in the league. And is maybe, I would have to say, the best player on their team offensively. I get OBJ is a top 5, top 10 wide receiver. I get that Baker Mayfield is the quarterback and sort of the face of the franchise. But Nick Chubb has already proven the last two seasons, I think, that he's the franchise player. Right? I think he's well-established himself as that kind of guy. And what did they do? They let him run the ball. They let Kareem Hunt run off of him. And they were able to get three rushing touchdowns over 200 rushing yards from those guys. They put up some good numbers. I mean, I don't know if they're going to keep both these running backs. I think I think Cleveland's going to find itself in a lot of trouble when it comes down to the line because you're going to have to find a way to pay Nick Chubb. You're going to have to find, figure out if you're going to pay Baker Mayfield. Are you going to draft a new quarterback? What's the situation going to look like in Cleveland? Who knows? But I think Kevin Stefanski just showed everybody it can work in Cleveland. His offense can work in Cleveland. Baker Mayfield just doesn't, just has to learn to not be Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, Matt Ryan. He's not that kind of guy. Right? He's not that kind of guy. He's not that kind of player. He he's more Kirk Cousins. Right? And I I'm not saying. I'm not saying he's Russell Wilson, but Russell Wilson is kind of stuck in that offense that's very similar, right? Throw the ball 25, 35 times, right? But he has to do more because sometimes the running game's not there, so he has to be even more on par. But you saw first week, 31 of 35, 322 yards, four touchdowns. Oh, yeah, it's only Atlanta's defense. I mean, still, it's Atlanta's defense. It's Russell Wilson in an offense that doesn't really suit him. If he was in an offense that was more Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers, imagine the numbers he'd be putting up. I think he's already a Hall of Famer. Imagine what could happen. But I digress. I think Baker's a really good quarterback. I think Baker Mayfield is the kind of quarterback that you can you can still put a team around. But I think Baker Mayfield's also a guy that needs to understand maybe you don't have to be the guy. Maybe it can be Nick Chubb as the guy. And then you're just kind of a nice supporting cast role player. Obviously, that's a little hard, I think, for quarterbacks to take in. But look, for what I saw from the Cleveland Browns offense, it was good. Defensively, they were they I mean, look, they sacked they sacked Joe Burrow three times. 
They forced him to fumble, right? I mean, those guys played really good football. They got after him. They got after him. But at the same time, right, at the same time, they gave up a ton of passing yards. A ton of passing yards. Right? And we're going to get into that one here real soon. Okay? With the Bengals. But look, I like the way that Cleveland's kind of starting to trend. After this game, there could be some big positive things. I think the problem that Cleveland has right now, they have a quarterback that wants to be the star when the running back's really the star of the offense. They have a wide receiver in Jarvis Landry that I think has a great rapport with Baker Mayfield, but the wedge that's been driven between them is Odell Beckham Jr. because now you got a star receiver who wants to see the ball all the time, so now Jarvis Landry and Baker's rapport gets scratched because Odell Beckham Jr. wants to get the ball all the time, and he's a personality that I don't think he and Baker work well together. I think he's driving Jarvis Landry nuts. I think he's driving Browns fans nuts. I know he's driving football fans nuts. The offensive line looks like it's a little, certainly a lot better, but it's the defensive side of the ball. Pass rush doesn't seem to be a problem. Linebackers don't seem to be a big issue. Defensive backs, though, outside of Denzel Ward, they don't really have a lot of guys that are shutting people down. But let's go to the other side of this thing, right? For me, the more fun side. Now, look, I'm an LSU fan. I watched LSU last year cheered them all the way to the national championship love Joe Burrow big fan I'm probably buying a Bengals jersey very soon that's a that's a guarantee I'm gonna probably be buying a Bengals jersey here soon I don't think they're going to a Super Bowl I'm not changing my fan base I still love the Bears but here's the thing folks that you have to remember Joe Burrow Joe Burrow going all the way back to the time when he was in high school low four-star recruit Comes to Ohio State, battles for the backup job to JT Barrett. JT Barrett goes. He's getting a chance to possibly start. Here's the here's that Tate Martell, the 5'11", 210-pound quarterback that was recruited after him, is probably going to get a better shot over him. He transfers to LSU, has a decent, not so good, has a decent average season there. Ends up having one of the most explosive offenses we've ever seen in college football history in his senior year at LSU and wins the Heisman Trophy. Becomes the number one pick by the Bengals, goes into his first week, doesn't really play too well, but shows the quality of being a starting quarterback in the NFL. But they still lose that game, right? And then goes into this game. It is week two, Thursday night, short season, short week for him, Rookie quarterback, no preseason, no training camp. Still a fairly new head coach. Not a lot of weapons on this team. Bad offensive line. Defense that is currently trying to rebuild. All of that considered, Joe Burrow showed me and I think everybody else in the country who he is. 37 of 61. 61 passes. What quarterback throws 61 times? That's like a pitcher. I I would equate that to like a pitcher throwing a ball 130 times in a game. You wouldn't dare let your pitcher do that. That might be a little excessive. But 61 times, a rookie quarterback, number one pick, short week, no preseason, no training camp, still fairly new head coach, tired looking team bad looking team and he still completed 37 of his passes to set a record for rookie quarterbacks in the NFL three touchdowns not a single interception fumbled the ball yes got sacked three times but still had a passer rating of 90 I'm on the same side with a lot of other people that I've been hearing. It may be week two, but everything I saw in that game from Joe Burrow, and you can call biasy, whatever, but I'm being honest. Everything I just saw from this kid in his second week, 
And I, and I could go through that whole listing again, but you've heard what I said. In his second week on a Thursday night game against the Cleveland Browns, he went in there and looked as good as any starting quarterback in the league. Got sacked, got hit, fumbled the football, did all these things that we kind of were like, oh, I don't know about that one, Joe. And he never flinched. You realize that? He never flinched. He never once showed a single sign of being worried, of being upset, of being tired, of being beaten up, anything like that. He walked to the sideline, he walked to the huddle, and then afterwards went to the sideline, got on the bench, and he just looked as stoic and as confident as ever. Cheering on teammates, telling them, come on guys, we're going to get this, we're going to win this game. Let's go, let's pick it up, come on, we got this. You can see the difference in how the two quarterbacks have interacted, right? They're polar opposites. They really are. Joe Burrow's the kind of guy that is cool without being cool, right? He puts on a jacket and you look at him and you go, that's a nice jacket. And he just wears it well because he just doesn't, he's cool without being cool. He's got good quarterback face. He's confident. He looks cocky without being cocky. That picture of him smoking the cigarette after they win the national title, the cigar, excuse me, that's a baller picture. That that's a that's a poster picture, okay? That's what that is. Baker is more of the quarterback that I feel like he's got to get in front of the media. He's got to do the social media thing. He's got to be more vocal. He's got to be more expressive, right? And look, there's nothing wrong. They both had incredible stories on getting to college. Baker was a two-star recruit, walked on to Texas Tech, got hurt, started, got hurt. Patrick Mahomes took over. He walked away, walked on at Oklahoma, got the backup job behind Trevor Knight, then got the starting job for two years, won the Heisman Trophy, number one pick. They both have very similar stories. They both become number one pick, Heisman Trophy winners. The only difference is where they played, how they were recruited. And then Joe Burrow just ended up being the one that won the national title. Baker had his shot, but obviously he never had the defense to back it up like Joe Burrow did. Joe Burrow just had a little bit better defense than, than Oklahoma did. I, I, I got to be honest. I'm with a lot of other people when they say... Baker's the fourth best quarterback in the division now. I agree. I agree. Joe Burrow just showed everybody that he has that it factor. LeBron even said, kid's got the it factor. Kid doesn't flinch. He doesn't move. He doesn't back down. He's confident and cocky without trying to be. Baker tries, and when he tries, we all kind of go, okay, buddy, enough, but Joe Burrow is just one of those guys, like, you know, they have that whole, if you haven't seen the video, it's like, you know, this woman's talking to him and a reporter and going, who, it's a picture of Joe Burrow, I believe, maybe from like high school or something like that, or as a kid, and she's like, what is, what does that look like, and he goes, looks like a national champion. Just says it with confidence. And, and I'm sure people would be, oh, just what are, you, what are you, so confident you think you're going to win the national title? It's like, yeah, yeah, of course he does. Have you not seen how good he is? <laughs> of course he thinks that. Of course he thinks that. He's Joe Burrow. He's so confident. He knows he's going to win the national title. He can say that and not even blink an eye. Not even cringe, not even twitch. And look, I got to give it up to the rest of the Bengals, right? Tyler Boyd played well. Drew Sample. CJ Ozuma. I know he's on IR right now, but he played well. Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon had a, had a hard time running the football. 16 carries for 46 yards. They shut down the run game and just said, Joe, you got to pass it. Mixon still came through for four catches for 40 yards. 
I mean, they went all over the field on this one. He, everybody, multiple catches. I, I let me let me drop it on you. Boyd seven, Sample seven, Uzo, Uzoma four, Mixon four, Higgins three, Thomas four, Green three, Bernard five. That's the whole team. That's all thirty-seven catches. All those completions coming from Joe Burrow, and he threw some bullets. He's got a quick release. He may not have the strongest arm in the NFL, but he just showed you who he is. He knows who he is, too. I think Baker struggles with knowing who he is as a player, who he is as a football player. I like Baker Mayfield for what he is, but I think it's fair to say by now, probably shouldn't have been the number one pick. Probably should have been like the third or fourth quarterback taken. I still think maybe Sam Darnold would have gone maybe before Baker. I don't know. I think he's still a good quarterback. I think he's just stuck in a bad situation. And look, I don't know if Joe Burrow's better than Tua. I don't know. We don't know. Jordan Love could still be the best quarterback that comes out of this class, right? That could that could still be something that happens. And Justin Herbert, you can't forget about him. But look, I'm telling you, with what I'm seeing from Joe Burrow right now with this team that is supposed to be so bad, I think he's the it. I think he's it. Now, I'm not saying he's Andrew Luck. I've heard a lot of other comparisons and stuff too. I think what Joe Burrow is is Joe Burrow. But I will say this though too. My fear is he will become like Andrew Luck. And I saw a few people saying that too. He was sacked three times in this game. Okay? We know the offensive line for the Bengals is bad. And if this kid just did this against the Cleveland Browns in a game where they were either supposed to be blown out or this was supposed to be a very messy, sloppy game, they only lost by five. And they've only lost by three against the Chargers. And they were a field goal away from tying that game. They were only a touchdown away from winning that game, this game. They were one minute away, potentially, one more minute away of possession from possibly getting a touchdown to win that game. They could be 2-0. They really could be 2-0. But my fear is that the offensive line, because it's so bad right now, is going to be what potentially gets Joe Burrow hurt. That's what harmed Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck, in the first couple years, we all saw it. He got smacked constantly. The offensive line that was surrounding him was not very good. It wasn't until they started filling it out with guys like Riley and Kelly and obviously Quentin Nelson. They found a few other pieces. They stuck them all together. And those front five now are the number one offensive line in the NFL, arguably. And if Andrew Luck was still playing right now... Colts would be favored to win that division and probably be playing in the Super Bowl. Deshaun Watson would not be even taking a crack at a chance to win in that division. And the Tennessee Titans would be just missed irrelevance again. I just want to... I like Joe Burrow a lot. I supported him at LSU. I support him as a Bengal. I'm going to buy that Burrow jersey of the Cincinnati Bengals at some point. I just don't want to see him in such a young career, potentially get hurt. That's my biggest fear, is that Burrow's going to go into a game sometime, and he's going to get sacked like seven, eight, nine times by like the Ravens or the Steelers or something like that, the teams that have the better defenses really in the division. And he's going to take a big hit, and he's going to get hurt. And somewhere down the line, all of a sudden, he keeps getting hit, he keeps getting hurt, And he just says, I can't do this anymore. I'm out. I'm not saying he's a Hall of Famer, but I'm just saying I don't want to see a talent take an early exit when it doesn't have to. That's all I'm trying to say on that one. I want to see Joe Burrow, the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals. I want to see him succeed to the highest of his ability. I really do hope that both of these quarterbacks turn it around because honestly, if you think about it, 
Big Ben might be on his way out, and the Steelers might find themselves regressing if they can't find the right quarterback to replace Ben Roethlisberger. And Baltimore, as good as they are, if they make the decision at some point to pay Lamar Jackson, you're going to have to get rid of some guys. You're going to have to figure out how to adjust salary. You're going to have to figure out how to keep all these players. And it's probably not going to happen. And then we will see just how good Lamar Jackson is if the defense isn't up to par and the offense isn't up to par. And oh, by the way, remember, the offense he's running right now, he didn't run the ball a lot. He threw the ball more, right? But it was against Cleveland. And we saw what Cleveland's offense, defensive passing defense looks like now against Joe Burrow. But imagine what it's going to look like against better teams. Just saying. And that running defense for a quarterback can always get them hurt. Kaepernick, Griffin III, we know what happens. It gets figured out. Guys get hurt. Guys stop doing it. They get exposed. Look, I, 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 liked this. I liked this game a lot. I really did. I think this has the potential to be one of the games of the week. I think it really does. Now, obviously, there's a whole other set of games that still have to be played. But I think this game has the potential to be the NFL game of the week. This was an incredible matchup. This was a great game. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see the Browns offense starting to click. I hope all the best for their defense. I think Joe Burrow is the real deal. I think he just proved it. And all I do is hope and pray that they're going to do everything they can to make sure he is well protected and heavily invested in by getting him all the receivers in offensive linemen he possibly can and getting that defense to par. And I'm telling you right now, give it some time and the Bengals will be back in that conversation of a team that can compete on every level. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. But a great game, all nonetheless. All right. So, obviously, uh, we have NFL picks that we do have to get to. So, I'm going to get to these really quick. So, obviously, Thursday already happened. So, we're not going to give the Thursday matchups. Wasn't able to get to that one for the podcast. Do apologize. But, doesn't mean we can't do the rest of these, right? Does not mean we cannot do the rest of these, folks. So, let us get to it. We got New York Giants at the Chicago Bears. Now, first home game for the Bears. Obviously, going to be interesting. Uh, I I can't wait to see how this team looks like in this second part of it, right? I firmly think the Giants are going to give these Bears a run for their money. I don't know where the defense is at. Again, use the excuse, okay, fine, no preseason, no training camp, fine. But Daniel Jones looked good. Darius Slayton looked good. Okay? And I think Saquon is going to be angry. On on the X-Bomb Sports Live show, I had my dude Drew on, who's uh, made his first debut, and he's been saying it. I think He's like, I think Saquon's going to be like going for an angry game. And if he's right, then I'm, I'm betting anything he's going for the 150, 200-yard game two, three touchdowns, whatever. He's going to go for big-time numbers to try and destroy the Bears. So if I'm picking one, I'll say this. I think the Giants might pull this one off. I really do. Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, I think the Giants can pull it off. Sorry, Bears fans. Trust me, I don't like it either, but I just still don't trust this team. I just do not trust this team still. All right. So the rest of them, we have Atlanta Falcons at the Dallas Cowboys. I like Atlanta. Uh, I like Dallas, though, against that defense, though. That defense still looks like it's got a lot of issues. But Matt Ryan is still a really good quarterback. They do have Julio Jones. And I think Dallas is still trying to figure things out with Mike McCarthy. Dak Prescott, I think, is still trying to figure things out with his receiving core. I like Atlanta. I think Atlanta is going to be able to take this one. Dallas has the three-and-a-half-point favorite. I would probably go ahead and say... Yeah, you know what? I will go with Dallas on this one. I think Dallas can get this win against the Atlanta Falcons. But 
Keep this in mind. I think it covers the numbers. I think they're close on this one. I really do think they're close on this one. All right, Lions at Green Bay Packers. Detroit Lions last week, obviously, we saw what they were. Uh, They had a lot of issues against the Bears, uh, but they kept it kind of close. I will say I think Green Bay comes out of this as the winning team, but I will also say this. I think Adrian Peterson is about to have a great day because Packers still don't have a great ground game. They still can't find a way to stop the run, and the Lions have, what, two or three different running backs they can actually go with. But Adrian Peterson just ripped through the Bears last week for 14 carries for 93 yards. Okay, that dude is going to somehow find a way to be able to put up some numbers, I think, against the Green Bay Packers. And he could give the the Lions a fighting chance. But I still like Green Bay in that game. All right, next is the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Tennessee Titans. Jacksonville won their last game against the Colts. I firmly think that I think Jacksonville should be able to find a way to stay competitive against Tennessee. But... At the end of the day, I do think Tennessee has a much better defense. Their offense seems like it's more intact. Ryan Tannehill seems like he's actually in a comfortable spot. This is the first time I've ever seen him play quarterback at the start of a season and actually look like he's comfortable in the pocket making throws to his actual wide receivers. He didn't have that in Miami. He finally has that in Tennessee. I like Tennessee. I think they're going to be able to win this one by at least two touchdowns, okay? Minnesota Vikings at Indianapolis Colts. Obviously, Phillip Rivers has never thrown the ball more than 30 times, I think, or something like that. I mean, the guy's never thrown the ball 45 times, and you're asking this old 40-year-old quarterback to throw the ball a bunch. I would honestly say Minnesota's going to be probably pretty competitive, but I would look to, and I mean this, I would look to the Indianapolis Colts to be a bit of a pain. I think Jonathan Taylor, the young rookie, taking over for the injured Marlon Mack, is going to have a decent game out there on the field. And I would also go as far to say I think the Colts can actually pull off an upset on this one. I did not like the way that that Minnesota defensive defense looked. I think their defensive backs are shot. I think they need some extra help there. I think if, if it's not drafting, I think they definitely need to look at maybe making some trades if they want to stay competitive for this one. They lost to the Green Bay Packers in a big blowout and a big shootout, and they got exposed on just how bad their defensive backs is because even with some of the worst receivers you could possibly imagine, Devontae Adams by himself still ripped through. So I would have to say, I think the Colts can actually pull this one off and get the upset, uh, take this one. And they are the favorites right now by three points. I think they can actually win this one by like a touchdown or so. Buffalo Bills at Miami Dolphins. It's going to be the same story. We saw Miami. Ryan Fitzpatrick looks like he's 40 years old, uh, and he's only like 36 or 37, really. I think this might be a game where we actually see the quarterback switch, okay? I think Josh Allen may not have as good a game passing, but I think he will still find a way to hit the end zone a couple times. Buffalo's defense, I think, is going to be high-powered, but I would also would say that maybe this is the opportunity either... If it's not this game, I think Miami, after this game, might make the switch at quarterback to Tua. They really might make the switch a lot earlier than people have supposed they would. Some people said week six, week seven, week eight. I think it might have to be might be in week three that we see the change finally happen. I'm taking the Bills. I think the Bills win it easily by a couple of touchdowns. San Francisco 49ers at the New York Jets. First off, 49ers lost to a really good Arizona Cardinals team. Okay, Arizona just showed how good they could actually be. DeAndre Hopkins just showed he's got all the firepower still left in him. Why? He had more catches than the entire Texans team. All right? That's insane. But overall, 49ers, Jets, it's got to be the Niners. Look, the Jets, I, I, I don't think Darnold's a bad quarterback. I just think Adam Gase is the worst coach ever. I don't know whoever decided to make him a head coach, but clearly they got the evaluation wrong, and he doesn't deserve the job. I don't know why the Jets thought if he's going to not work in Miami, he certainly could work in New York. I don't know where that logic comes into play, but sure, why not? Let's see what he can do, right? I think the Niners win this one easily. Garoppolo gets his magic back. Moster probably goes for a bunch of big yards. I'm going to 
I'm going to slide it that way. I'm going to slide it that way, and I'm going to say, yeah, 49ers for sure in a blowout. L.A. Rams, Philadelphia Eagles. Good matchup. Number one, number two pick from the 2016 NFL Draft, right? It's kind of kind of a telltale sign of, I guess, who's going to be the better quarterback. Obviously, Goff has, I think, better weapons. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, who just got paid $86 million or whatever the hell it was. Right? I think Goff's got the better team. I would go with the Rams. I think the Rams can win this one by like a good 10, 14 points, probably two touchdown difference. The, I, the Eagles are just depleted. The Eagles are really just depleted. I, I like the Eagles to a degree to be able to stay competitive. I just don't know if they can beat the Rams even at this point. I just don't know if they're at that level. Broncos, Steelers. I'm going to go with the Steelers. And I hesitated there because I thought about it, thought about the Broncos, what they did last week. But considering still how good I think this Pittsburgh Steelers team is and how good Big Ben showed us he was even in that first game, even though it was the Giants, I still think that the Broncos will put up a fight. I just still think the Steelers are going to win this one. I give it a close game. I give it like a 6-3 Three-point difference. I think it'll be around that margin. Uh, North Carolina. North Carolina. Excuse me. Carolina Panthers at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This will probably be another win for... Nah, you know what? This is going to be a win for Tampa. I I was going to say this is going to be another... This is going to be another win for uh, Carolina, but I can't even say that because they didn't win last week. Because Matt Rule decided to do a fullback handoff for whatever reason at the to get into the end zone, and that didn't work at all. A bad move on him. Makes me question if he's... It, really, Matt Rule is a guy who I question if he's an NFL coach. He kind of had the one miracle season with Baylor, and that was kind of it for him in my estim- estimation. So I think Tampa's going to win this one. I think Matt Rule doesn't... I think he's going to make some other bad decisions think Teddy Bridgewater will play well. think Christian McCaffrey will have some big numbers. But I think Tampa's finally going to get themselves back in form. Mike Evans should be good to go. I think Godwin might be out, but I trust Tom Brady to still be able to make adjustments with or without certain receivers playing and all that. So I take it to Tampa. Washington football team at the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray put on a show in the first week, and I still stick with him. I think Arizona's going to win this game. I like Washington, don't get me wrong. And Ron Rivera did one hell of a job coaching that Washington football team against the Philadelphia Eagles. Sorry, Washington football team is just such a silly name. But they're 1-0. Both these teams are 1-0. But I like Arizona more than I like Washington. I'm going to take the Cardinals over Washington for this one. Uh, Again, a lot of it really just comes down to the Washington Redskins or the Washington football team just needs. I think they just got a little lucky with Philadelphia. I think they're about to hit some matchups though that are really going to show just how bad this football team is. But Ron Rivera could full us all because he's still a really good coach. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs at it's not San Diego. Jeez, Los Angeles Chargers like the Chargers. Think they, they can think they can compete. But it's Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes is still the best. They have the best. Uh, they have the best quarterback. They have the best receiving. One of the best receiving cores. They have a decent offensive line. The defense could be a little bit better. And I'm telling you, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. That kid. I I think he could be up for rookie of the year by the end of the season, as long as he's not taking a lot of big shots. But you've even seen that kid can run. <laughs> that kid can run. So I'm taking Kansas City, and I think it'll it'll be close. I think it can be close, but close is relatively to say like a 13-point difference for Kansas City. That's all I'm going to say for that. Uh, Baltimore at Texans. I'm taking Baltimore. I don't think Deshaun Watson has the weapons in Houston. I don't think the defense is as prepared in Houston. I think a lot of those guys are... If not older, they're banged up, they're injured, they're still trying to recover. 
The lack of preseason obviously could play into it, sure. But I still take Baltimore. I think their running game will be a lot better. I think they'll be a little bit stronger on the passing game. Again, they're going to show their stuff. But ultimately, I'm taking the Ravens. I think it's going to be like a good, solid 16, 17-point difference between these two. New England Patriots at Seattle Seahawks. This is the last game of the night in Sunday. This is the big matchup I'm waiting for. Russell Wilson versus Bill Belichick. No longer is Tom Brady there. He's now going one-on-one with Cam Newton, who he's really fond and really good friends with Cam Newton. He was a big supporter of bringing Cam Newton to Seattle as a backup. And so I'm really interested to see how these two are going to match up with each other. I'm really interested to see how Bill Belichick can play against Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson has pretty much owned the Patriots except for the Super Bowl, which the interception by Malcolm Butler was unfortunate, but it happened and the Patriots won that matchup. Otherwise, Russell Wilson's been huge in beating the Patriots. Now, Stephon Gilmore's still playing. The defense is still very good, but I'm still taking the Seahawks. I like Russell Wilson. I never want to doubt him. He is truly, I think, the best quarterback in the NFL. Maybe the best NFL player all around. Pound for pound, I would say right now, he's the best football player in the NFL. And I don't think that's unfair to say. I think that's very fair to say. And finally, the Monday night matchup, New Orleans Saints at... Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders played well. Uh, Derek Carr played really good. He played efficient. You know, 22 of 30. Had a touchdown. Josh Jacobs, though, man. 25 carries, 93 yards, three touchdowns. He put it in the end zone. He found a way to get in. He fought for those yards. I got to give it to him. I think the Raiders have something there. However, it's the Saints. And I think Drew Brees is still getting into form. Now, they don't have Michael Thomas. No Michael Thomas, he's going to be out, what they said, for several weeks, which sucks because he's on two of my fantasy teams because I thought, big year for Michael Thomas, got to be. And uh, not looking like that's going to happen. So with Michael Thomas obviously out, I still think Drew Brees is going to be able to pick up the slack for where Michael Thomas is not going to be. But I leave a little leeway for the Vegas Raiders. Las Vegas may have an opportunity with no Michael Thomas to say, okay, we kind of match up a lot better now. It's still Drew Brees. It's still New Orleans. Their defense is better, I think. But I think they match up a little bit better in that regard. So those are the picks for the week. I hope you guys uh, get them in time. I hope you guys get them right. If you need any betting tips, don't come to me. I don't win a lot. Whenever I do bet, though, I try to bet on the things that I think can actually happen i won on the horses in kentucky derby made some good money other than that don't count on me for anything all right (laughs) excuse me so i want to finish this up with talking about a topic that i myself and many of my other individuals who do x-bomb sports we've kind of been intrigued with and that's the college football scene because right now in college football there is a massive overtake that's happening right now with what's been going on for the college football scene, which is, you know, let's trail it all the way back where pandemic's happening, decisions need to be made, and teams might be opting and all that kind of stuff. Big 10, Pac-12 say they're opting out, going to maybe play spring football. SEC, ACC make their changes, say 10 games, Conference only. ACC is going to do 11. They add in Notre Dame. SEC says 10 game conference only. Big 12 was a little bit on the side, but I think once the ACC and SEC made their announcements, the Big 12 felt more confident. Big 12 fell in line with them, said we're going to do 10 games. The season's now gone on. We're in week three now. That just passed by this Saturday. And we're now going to be moving into week four. So the SEC is about to start. I believe the Big 12 is also, well, the Big 12 has already started. But you're going to have the SEC starting here soon. And the Big 10 and the Pac-12 were still not announced until Wednesday. We got word 
that the Big Ten was finally making its announcement. Football would be returning the weekend of October 24th. October 24th, that Saturday, is when football would be returning. Well, rather, Friday is, I guess, when it's returning. But Saturday would kind of be the the, the momentous moment where the Big Ten would make its return. Now, the Pac-12 has been more of what a lot of people have said, a more political climate. Though a lot of this has been considered a political climate, mind you. Because the governors have not, were not signing off on this thing for state schools and all that. However, it's come out that the governors of California and Oregon have both said that they are not going to bar any of these universities in California or in Oregon from playing football. They want to give them all the opportunities they possibly can. Obviously, there's a lot going on, though, in the north, in the northwest right now, in the, in the western coast and the northwest right now, right? You got fires in California. You've got a lot of political uproar going on throughout there. There's air pollution and atmospheric problems because of the fires that are spreading out, right? So there's a lot of things happening in that sort of regard. But Big Ten's coming back. Pac-12 is still yet to vote on theirs. But the, I, the, the feeling is that they will probably return back to play college football. And look, I, I, I will say this. I love college football. I'm an LSU fan, so I wasn't really bothered that they closed out. But this whole situation has been a mess. And the Big Ten flinched. Like what I talked coming full circle, you know, I talked about with Joe Burrow flinching. Well, the Big Ten made its decision to say, that's it. We're not playing college football. We're not going to play till the spring. And players, parents, and fans, they all were getting up in arms about it, right? And understandable. Look, I understand. On the player's side and perspective of things, on the parents and all that stuff, you want your kids to play. The kids want to play. Everybody wants to get college football back. Everybody wants the distraction, right? Because they don't want to pay attention to all the bad things going on and stuff. So I get it. I do. I, I, I get it. And I do believe in some of the things on they are safer on campus because of the medical stuff, the insurance and all that kind of thing. I understand that completely. But I've said this in a past episode before. There is no way you can control every college kid and what they do. The seniors and even some of the juniors, the older kids will probably understand it better like, okay, I go to the dorm, I go to the training facility, I go to practice, go back to the training facility, go back to my dorm, and that's it. But the younger guys, the freshmen and the sophomores, and who knows, maybe even some of the more older guys that don't really care, they're going to go out, they're going to go have a good time, they're going to go to parties, possibly, they're going to go to restaurants, they're going to go to places where they could pot- potentially contract contract the disease and get the virus, Right? And look, I don't want to see that. I don't think I don't want it to happen to anybody. I don't want to see any of that kind of stuff happen. But you have to make sure to understand that that is something that no coach can simply control. You can say curfews and all that kind of stuff, sure. But that's never going to stop players from getting it. Right? There was a poll that was taken, I forgot when. But it, it, they asked over a hundred, well over a hundred athletes. I think it was around like some two hundred or three hundred athletes or whatever. About you know the COVID situations on campuses, right, and how they're being controlled. And it came back that a little more than half of them, the students were thought the procedures were somewhat working not to the fullest extent obviously and but th- but this isn't and, and this is not going to be the whole thing I'm just pointing that out but I want it understood too that look college football I understand for a lot of people is bigger than the NFL like my guy Tom McKinney he loves college football more than he loves the NFL and I totally understand that I mean, he loves his Bears. He'll watch the Bears game. But outside of that, he doesn't really watch a lot of other NFL games. I love football. I'll watch NFL games all the way until the Crows come home and college football and all that stuff. I just watched a lot of college football. Okay. 
But and look, I understand people in this country want a distraction. I think, though, using sports as a means to try and distract yourself from what's going on in this country, all the things, be it the virus and all of that, I think is kind of a cop-out. And that may make some people mad, but at this point, I don't really care. Because, frankly, I think with the issues that are going on in this country, if we're not having some sort of discussion about what's going on, or we're at least not having some sort of, you know, meaningful talks about these things, what we can do with the virus, how we can help prevent it, how we can help, you know, save lives in that matter, how we can do things about police, police, police injustice and brutality, how we can do things to better ha have better communication with officers of the law and everything, how they can maybe have better communication with us, the civilians and all that stuff. Without those conversations, in my opinion, I truly believe that we are just setting ourselves up for more failure down the line. And if we're using sports as a distraction from all that stuff, I feel like you're setting you're setting yourself up for more failure. You should not be distracting yourself from having those talks. And if it's a matter of mental health issue, then I'm all in support of let's start making let's let's start making mental health awareness and and you know getting help for mental health, especially during this time, let's start making it a free thing. Let's open up therapists and psychologists' offices to people who maybe need to talk to somebody. I mean, hell, I'm doing it free for, for, for some of my friends who are just like, who are cooped up and can't really do anything and can't go anywhere because they're kind of just in this crazed mode of like, I'm stuck, I'm trapped, I can't get out, I need to get out, I need help. But aside from all that, the Big Ten flinched and showed everybody player safety means nothing. Money is everything. I understand these are football kids. And look, I was probably of the same mindset. I will die for this sport. I will die doing what I love. Blah, blah, blah. All that stuff. That's fine. That's cool. Whatever. But I want everybody to kind of keep this in mind. Because if anybody says out there that a college football player didn't die from COVID, let me read you this one. This comes from NBC Sports. Jermaine Stevens, a football player at California University of Pennsylvania, and he's the son of former Steelers first round pick. Jermaine Stevens Sr. Died at the age of 20 of what was initially described as COVID-19 complications. However, was later said to be unconfirmed. Now... I say that I read through these articles and I understand that it says later to be unconfirmed. So it is not confirmed that he died from COVID. Okay. That he died from the virus. But I want people to understand. I want them to understand that this is something that the NCAA and I think a lot of these universities did not think about. What happens if we have a kid that dies from the virus? Because even though it says, but was later to be said to be unconfirmed. Well, what if it later comes out that he was sick from the virus and he did die because of the complications to that? What happens if that happens? The season was already canceled this year because of the virus, it says. I put that to those universities. What happens when one of your football players, one of your kids at your universities dies? Fans, I know, are just going to say, well, it's just one kid. He's not a number. He's got to have a name. He's going to have a name. Say the, say the kid's name. Because that's going to be a, a young kid, 
a young adult that no longer gets to live his life. Remember that. God willing, it doesn't happen. But if it does, a lot of people are going to have, they're going to have to understand that this is, this is something serious. This is something we reiterate a lot on on X-Bomb Sports. This is something I've already probably said on this show. This is something I'm going to say probably a lot more other times. But the NCAA, they messed up. They should have stepped in and said, no college football until spring. That's what we're going to do. Instead, they said, we're not going to say anything. We're going to let the conferences make their choices. And the conferences did. And now they're all coming back from the reprieve and they're all looking stupid for it. And they're all doing it because of money. Because they don't want to lose out on the millions of dollars that they could potentially be making. And the NCAA looks like the biggest fools of it because they didn't want their hands in it so they could say, well, we don't have to take blame. No, you take blame because your hands weren't in it. You decided you didn't want to be involved, but by not being involved, you're the problem. You're the you're at fault. Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, is at fault because he did not want to say anything, because you did not seem like you had a plan. And because of that, you are at fault. And you forced these universities and you've forced these conferences to make a decision where it basically says, well, we want the money. I'm not saying that these kids can't be safe. I'm not saying that they can't be that, that they can't be okay, that this season can't go well. But I'm saying that you've caused a mess now. Because now the Big Ten says we're only playing eight games. The Pac-12 is probably going to say we're only going to play eight games. So now you've got one conference playing 11. You've got two conferences playing 10 games. And you've got one conference playing eight games. And that's not including championship games. How are you going to deal with the rankings? How are we going to do this? How are we going to figure out who's going to play for the national championship? How are we going to figure out who's going to play for the college football playoff? The committee is going to have their hands full. And this all goes back to the NCAA. All they had to say, all they had to do was come out and say, no college football, wait till the spring. Okay, fine. But they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to be the ones to shut it down. They didn't want to be the ones to shut their money-making printing machine down. Because they know the minute they would have done that, all that money goes out the window. For everybody, including them. College football really is the biggest, it is the really big, the biggest scam in the world. College universities, I'm all for higher education, absolutely, 100%. Everybody should be able to get higher education, I think. Because that's the only way we advance in society. That's the only way we go forward is by learning and getting better and getting stronger in our minds. these universities they just want to prove no college football no college basketball no money the universities can't survive athletics dictates everything within the university the NCAA is slowly making itself a dying entity because I'm telling you right now if every football kid decide to just drop out of school and just go on their own and opt out and go do their own thing and hold their own practices the scouts would not care NFL scouts would go to where the college kids are go watch them play and practice and do their own drills and stuff and say the hell with these universities and nobody would watch them not a single person Food for thought on that, college kids. If you hear this, think about that. Unite together, make your own league, potentially get your own camera crew. I'll film it for you. What the hell? You do not need the universities and the NCAA. Don't let them use you. Use them in every way possible. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for me here. Well, if you want to follow me, you guys can follow me on Instagram at Boom Crew Captain. You guys can follow me on Twitter at the fluffy guru. Uh, make sure to follow us on our Facebook. If you want to see more of our stuff, uh, facebook.com slash team X bomb sports, where we do our live show every Thursday and every Wednesday and Thursday. 
Uh, follow us on Twitter at XBomb Sports and on Instagram as well, XBomb Sports 2. Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been fun. This has been interesting. We will see you on the next podcast here on that sports show that talks sports. My name is Andrew Valentin. Love you guys all so much. And as always, much love and peace out, everybody. <laughs>